0: As you find your seats, you can turn with me in your Bibles. And you may want to take some of the inserts of the bulletin. You put one in Genesis 1, and you can throw one in John 1, you can throw one in Colossians 1, because there's where we're going to land this morning. As we look at the second part of this sermon series, as far as the curse is found, we look at, to Jesus, Lord of creation, Lord of recreation. Have you noticed in life that some things just seem to come full circle? Have you lived long enough to just see that things just have a way of making their way back around and completing that circle? Well, this weekend, Katie took our oldest, Jesse, a senior, over to Florida Southern uh, College. You probably know it as the Harvard of the South over there in Lakeland. tour the campus and FSC Florida Southern College will always be a place near and dear to my heart because it is there that my life story and Katie's life story became our life story it's at Florida Southern College where she entered the picture of my life or I entered the picture of her life and again it now became our picture in so many ways, my life was forever changed. In a lot of ways, I could truly say my life really began. And it was at Florida Southern, and I'll be forever grateful for that. Because my life story doesn't make sense without Katie as a part of that story. And my four children would not be here. So much of my life story hinges upon her and my family. And that's well, she sat over here today because she didn't want you all looking at her. So she said, I'm going to go from here to here. <laughs> Because every time I talk about her, she says, everybody just turns to me and looks. (laughs) And she loves being up front. (laughs) Katie did have a life story before me. I'm sure it wasn't much of a story, but I know (laughs) that she did have a life story. And I've really enjoyed going back and connecting the dots to the rest of her story to see where my beloved has been to see the house where she grew up in, to see where she stood to get the, uh, the bus. Somehow she thought it was important for me to see that. She pointed it out to me once. And she went to school in Japan. Uh, she had been thrown out of every high school in America. And <laughs> her family moved. They moved to Japan. And uh, being the youngest, she was the one at home. And she went there. And she went to a place called American School in Japan, I remember I had the privilege of going over on a mission trip to Japan. And while I was there, we had like one half day of free time. They say, where do you want to go? I mean, here's a a country filled with history, filled with sights to see. I mean, go see Mount Fuji, go to Kyoto and see the old castles. Where do you want to go in this one day? And I said, I have to go to the American school in Japan. I mean, it's a part of her story that I don't understand. It's a part of her story that I've never seen or couldn't really visualize. I gotta go. Because her story and my story are now intertwined in one. I wanted to see where she was and where she went to high school to see if there are any boyfriends left over and take care of them too. (laughs) But really what I wanted to do was to see what God used in his hand of providence, the events, the places, the people to bring us together If Jesus truly is, and I hope he is, your true beloved, as he is mine, it's so important for us to go back and to see where our beloved has been. What God used to bring the events, the people in our lives, to bring us together with Jesus. As we begin this sermon today, there are two very critical questions we need to answer here today as we begin. And it's this. For each one of us, no matter if you 're a visitor and you 're new to this Christianity stuff or if you have been around Christianity and been a Christian for a long time, these are two critical questions for all of us. The first one is this: When and where does jesus 's story begin in history? When and where does jesus 's story begin in history? Much of the world will tell you Bethlehem or something to do with the New Testament, but as we dig deeper, we realize the story's a whole lot bigger. Secondly. When and where does the story of Jesus fit into your history? When and where? Maybe you're here today and say, really, right now it doesn't. I'm kind of on one track and he's on another. Maybe for some of you it says, man, I can't imagine my story not being with him. My story is him. But these are the two questions that we have to wrestle with. And really, it's what the gospel writers had to wrestle with as well. In the Bible, there are four gospel accounts of the life of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They begin the New Testament. Um, each one are going to give us their understanding of the events. Each one of us, each one of the gospel writers had to do this. They had to, they had to decide where to start with Jesus. Now, we believe clearly that all of God's Word, from Genesis to Revelation, is God's Word. That means it's been God-breathed to all of the different writers of Scripture, and there have been several. Um, But the beautiful thing is here is that God breathing upon the writers of Scripture, making it inerrant, without error, making it in its original, infallible, not allowing us to stray... God didn't mechanically come and grab the writer's hand and say, now write my word. What he did is, he used all the gifts and abilities, everything that was natural about each writer, and he poured, he breathed upon them his being so that they could write, not not superseding their own creativity, but making sure that it was God's word, their accounts. And so you look at Matthew. And if you have a Bible, and by the way, let me strongly encourage you, if you're not in the habit of bringing them, bring your Bibles, especially during this series. Because we're going to be looking as Jesus is the answer to all of Scripture, as far as the curse is found. And we're going to do a lot of jumping around. We're going to spend a lot of time in Genesis and work our way through. So if you don't bring them, we'll try to help you with some words on the screen. But let me encourage you to bring them for the extra stuff. If you look at the the Gospel of Matthew, it starts off this way. Matthew's going to begin with a genealogy. And he's going to begin with a genealogy taking and linking Jesus to the rest of the history, the rest of the story. And he's going to refer to Jesus as this, son of David and son of Abraham. And he's writing primarily to a Jewish audience. He's writing primarily to those who grew up uh, Jewish, those who knew a lot about Torah, those who knew a lot about the practices of a Jewish culture. And he is going to really show to them that this Jesus is the promised king, son of David. In Jewish history, David was it as far as kings go. Because he was the king after God's own heart. I mean, he was this warrior that would take a head off of a giant. He was this musician that could write and do poetry. He was an incredible follower, one who had a heart after God. And he was a hero. There was no king like David. But David messed up. Stories will tell us, that the the scripture tells us about Bathsheba and, and adultery and murder and And really, the Bible leaves us in the Old Testament wanting another king that's a lot better. One that's righteous and holy. And so when Matthew starts off and says, Jesus, son of David, immediately lights go off and say, this is the promised king. This is the king we've all been waiting for. When it says, Jesus, son of Abraham, it takes us way back to the promise. We even celebrated that promise this morning. The promise made to Abraham to be the God of those who have faith and their children and he, what God promised Abraham was this. He promised him a seed. He promised a blessing seed that would actually come and give hope and fulfill all that God has called us to do. And to be a blessing to all nations. And so when Matthew starts and he says, Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham, you know what he's doing? He's exploding the entire Old Testament where it all points to him. Then he connects the genealogy. He doesn't begin in Bethlehem. He's going to tell us a lot about Bethlehem. But really where he begins is to take his back and say the story begins earlier. Then you get to Mark. Flip to Mark and you see in Mark 1. Mark's going to begin with Isaiah. Isaiah of all the prophets really painted the clearest picture of the one that was to come. Emmanuel, a virgin will be with child. Uh, Isaiah tells us. And the whole government is going to rest upon his shoulders. Isaiah is the one who paints an incredibly vivid picture of a suffering servant that was to come to rescue um, uh, God's people. And so in the Gospel of Mark, he begins quoting Isaiah. And he's basically, in Isaiah, ready for this, Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus. And so the, the writers or the readers of the Gospel of Mark, they're amazed... That the story of Jesus isn't starting right here with uh, in Bethlehem. Matter of fact, Mark starts his story of Jesus' ministry with baptism. Doesn't even tell us any of the birth narratives, but he links it back to Isaiah. So the reader said, "Wow, the story goes back." And then there's Luke. And Luke, and Luke, what Luke is going to do, he's writing more to a Gentile audience, more of those who didn't grow up with a Jewish history. And he's going to set the events of Jesus' birth in the calendar of what's happening around Jesus. That's why in chapter 2, it tells us of that census of uh, Caesar Augustus issued. He's going to place it in time. Um, he's also going to really address the concerns of the poor, and he's going to talk a lot about women. But in, in chapter 3, What Luke gives us is another genealogy. And he's going to give us a genealogy that doesn't stop at son of David or son of Abraham. He gives us a genealogy of Jesus that goes all the way back to the very first man, Adam. He says, basically, this is the new Adam. This is the new hope. And next week, we're going to look at Jesus as the second Adam, the last Adam. We're going to compare the two, so you want to come back. But so Luke was doing, he was taking the story and getting us all the way back to the garden. And then there's John. John wrote a little bit different than the rest. What they call the synoptic gospels, the first three. And you know where he, turned to John 1. You know where he begins? Where does John begin? In the beginning. I mean, you cannot read John 1 and Genesis 1, we're about to do it, and not see the similarities. What John is going to say to us, if you want to talk about Jesus, if you want to talk about the life story of Jesus, we don't start in Bethlehem. We don't start with Isaiah. We don't start with Abraham or David. We don't start even with Adam. If you want to talk about Jesus, you've got to start before time was. You've got to start before anything was created. This is Jesus, the eternal Son of God. From glory to glory, the story is about Jesus. We looked at it the last week. We began this series as far as the curse is found. We began at the resurrected hope of Christ. We began that Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises of God. And we began the fact that the cross was Jesus' payment for our sin. And the resurrection was the seal of of, of, uh, authenticity that God accepted that payment. And all of scripture hinges on him. It all points to him. It all makes sense in him. And now, even more, we look and see that he is Lord of creation. He's very God himself, eternal, all-powerful. And because, listen, because Jesus always has been, he is now, always has been, and always will be, he has authority to speak into all things. Does that make sense, doesn't it? I mean, think about your relationship with a spouse if you're married. I mean, they really can speak into the things of your life that you two have been one, you've been a part of. But sometimes they go a awry when they start speaking into things that they weren't a part of. Now, we want to ask Jesus and say, now, Jesus, we see you coming on the scene. What gives you the authority to speak into my life? What gives you the authority to speak in the Old Testament? And we realize if he is eternal, and God's word points clearly to that, and we believe he is if he is creator and Lord of all things, he has the right to speak into everything. He's God. And he's the one that brings light to all darkness, drives out all chaos, the one that we need to surrender our lives to. He is the one we need to very give our very hearts to. So what we're going to do this morning, and, and this is a challenge for me, we're going to kind of fly over some passages. Usually we love to drill deep. Uh, today we're going to fly over, and what we're going to try to do is connect the dots, Connect the dots of Scripture, and we're going to begin in Genesis 1. Genesis 1 and 2 give us the creation story. Genesis 3 is how man messed it all up, and we're going to talk more about that in the coming weeks. But we're going to start with Genesis 1. Believing that Moses uh, has written this, uh, inspired by God, uh, probably wrote this in the desert. They've left Uh, They've left Egypt. They're about ready to head into the promised land. And Moses is now going to give us, by the inspiration of the Spirit, God's Word. And he begins this way. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 1-1 in Genesis. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Already from the beginning, it's not a really, really clear picture of the Trinity. But we hear of God, we hear of a Spirit, and we hear of a Word. And we see the formation of what God was doing and how he was revealing himself. In verse uh, 3, And God said, this is how God created all things out of nothing. God said. Didn't use any tool. uh, Unbelievably, didn't need any other material. God speaks. That's all that he needs to do. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. God is not only the creator of all things. God is the one, this is important, who is able to label what is good and what is not. God is the ultimate judge. Creator tells us, he looks at creation, said this is good, beginning with light. He separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. And if you look through the entire chapter of 1, you'll see, "And and God said, 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 and that is how God created all things. The culmination of his creation is found at the end of chapter 1 where he made you and me, he made man and woman in his own image to reflect who he is and we were given a very special job as we are reflecting who he is to rule and reign for him. To advance Eden, paradise, everywhere we go. Okay, let's take our our Bibles. Let's flip over to John 1. Uh, Now we have John's Gospel. Uh, John Again, it's going to start from the beginning. And he says this. He's going to give us a little bit more clarity. God's word is redemptive history. What this means is God is going to give us the history of how he saved the world, how he saved his own. It's going to have some very narrow lenses, he's not going to talk about all of world history. If you're here with a history degree, there are some people who will say, well, the Bible's not really history. It only deals with such a small slice of history. And we would say, you're right. It does deal with a small slice of history, but it's redemptive history. It's how God has saved his people by sending his son and how that affects all of history and all of life. Well, John, we also see God's word as progressive, uh, progressive redemption or progressive in a way that it it is unfolding of God's word. We get more of the story as the story goes on. Does that make sense? And we need the whole story for it to make sense. Is there a lot of stuff? You all with me? Okay. John 1. John is going to go take us back and he's going to connect. You can certainly hear Moses and this, this as well. It says this, John 1.1. 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Very clearly saying, in the beginning was this Word. Uh, This Word is eternal. This Word was with God, and this Word was very God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not understood it or has not overcome it. There's a battle between light and darkness. In verse 14, very important. And this this Word, this eternal God, this Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the Word became flesh. Now, unbelievable, the Word spoken created all things. The Word became flesh comes to recreate all things. More about that in a minute. And who is this Word made for, uh, flesh? His name is? When in doubt, the pastor asks you that, you always say it. You know, no matter what, you can't go wrong with that. So let's try it one more time. The Word made flesh was, is, and always will be? Jesus. Very good. Okay, now he turned to Colossians, uh, a letter that Paul has written, Colossians 1. And Paul's going to give us a little bit more light on the story here. And he says this about Christ. For he, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is exactly representing God. He's it. He's the literal copy. As the, the writer of Hebrews 1 will tell us that he is God's son, very God, uh, completely man. All right, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, the firstborn could be confusing here. It could sound like he was a created being like you and me. That's not true. He's eternal. The firstborn of creation means he's the first above. It's preeminence. He is over all of creation because he is Lord of creation. He is not a part of creation as a created being. He is the creator of creation. Does that make sense? So let's make sure we understand that. Very important. For by him, all things were created. By Jesus, Paul clearly tells us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible and invisible whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him. Listen to the prepositions here. All things were created through him and for him. It's already said that all things were created by him. So this is saying creation is by Jesus, it is through Jesus, and creation, and you are a part of that, is for Jesus. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, he is above them, he is preeminent over those things, and in him all things hold together. So not only is he creator, he is sustainer. Jesus, the one, God's own son, creator of all things, sustainer of all things, all things held together through him and for him as he is the head of the body, the church. I love the church, the preeminence of God's family. The church is here. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. This is talking about the resurrection. That in everything he might be preeminent. He might be number one. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Very important verse right here. In Jesus, one who did become flesh, fully man, all the fullness of God, fully God, was pleased to dwell. Mystery there. We can't unpack all of it today. But clearly teaches us that Jesus, the eternal word, became flesh, continues to be flesh, and forever will be both fully God and fully man. For in him all the, the, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And listen to this. And through him, in verse 20, uh, to reconcile to himself mankind. Does it say mankind? To reconcile to himself the church. Does it say the church? To reconcile to himself what? All things. Whether on earth or in heaven. Making peace by the blood of his cross. Wow. Let us pray together. Father, we do ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. We pray this in Christ's powerful name. Amen first question you'll see in your outline, if you want to follow along in your bulletin, is this. Where and when does Jesus fit into the picture? Where and when? Very, very important. And as we see clearly throughout God's Word, clearly through the Gospel accounts, that Jesus is Lord of creation. That Jesus is the Word of God, and as Paul tells us in Colossians 1, that He created all things by Him, through Him, for Him. Jesus is Lord of creation. The Genesis 1 story of creation, 1 and 2, the John 1 story, the Colossians story, all point to Jesus. And we may want to ask the question, a very important question, why did he create all things? Some of us may say, well, he needed us. Wrong answer. He was bored. Wrong answer. In eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit had perfect community, perfect happiness. Everything they could ever want or have, they found in a oneness relationship with a triune God being one true living God. But God decided to create all things. Why? This is very, very important. For His glory. God created heavens and earth. So that he can display his worth, his majesty, his beauty, his glory, his power. That is why he created everything. It's, to display, it's like a trophy case. God has created all things to display the majesty, the beauty. Have you seen it? Have you ever seen those mountains or the sea or one another, the beauty in one another, and just be amazed of God's glory? Well, he created all things for his glory. But he also did something else that's very, very important we see in Genesis 1 and 2 we can't miss. It's this. He put all things in order. He didn't just speak and they kind of came about and it was all hodgepodge. He created each thing, it says very clearly, according to their kind. He established different kinds of animals and birds and plants. And he said where the water should go and he said where the land should be. And he put everything in his right Order. Even the order of a relationship where man has dominion over all things, where man is to rule and reign over all things for him, and in order of relationships with, with, where we are with God. We are given authority to rule and reign for him, and we are also under authority. He is God, we are not. Genesis 2, there's a really incredibly cool part of Genesis 2 where Jesus is going to, uh, uh, the triune God, the Father, Son, and Spirit are, are going to show man, created in God's image, that he does have dominion and rule over all things. And the way that the writer Moses gives us this is that he brings, God brings Moses to all the animals, or brings all the animals to Moses, and he names them. Anytime someone has the authority to name things, it is showing dominion. Felicity Brown. Ben and Lauren Brown had the, uh, the power to name their own daughter. That is showing uh, their dominion, their headship over them. And here is God. He's got two purposes here. And this is not even my notes. This is just extra good stuff, no extra charge. What he's doing is two things. He's one, he's showing the rule and reign of man, having dominion over all of, all of God's creation by naming all the animals. And he's also showing man that he's not supposed to be alone. That everything that came up wasn't supposed to be a helpmate. That he needed woman for God's plan to be advanced. He also says to us, a very important job, we're to multiply. We're to multiply. We're to multiply by having babies. And and, and to take that rule and reign. Um, And we'll see how we multiply here after the fall. Okay. Um, Jesus is Lord of creation, he's created all things he has put all things in order he has done all of that to bring him glory how did he create all things how does the Bible, how does Genesis 1 you guys remember, how did he create all things he spoke spoke, the spoken words right, the word of God spoken and all things came to to being now as we follow along, we were created to maintain and expand his created order, that's why we're here we are here to be ruling and reigning for God. We are here to be multiplying His image. This brings God's glory to Himself. He created all things and He put us in a garden, a paradise where man and God dwelt together. And He says, I want you to bring this paradise of God and man reigning together and in love relationships to all of creation. Multiply. Bring this. Where there's chaos, bring order. Where there's darkness, bring light. Whether it's hurt, bring life, uh, bring God into all those things to maintain and expand his created order. For some crazy reason, and I don't know if any of us have figured it out, Reggie and his family collect box dots, I think they're called. I'm not even sure the name of them. Uh, Are they box dots? Are you here, Reggie? Where are you? He's in the back praying. Um, Those are reflectors on the road. Um personally, I don't know why you would try to collect reflectors on the road. I think it's dangerous and seemingly illegal. But uh, really, I think about that. I think about this is really who we are called to be. Box dots, in a sense. We are to pave the road to Jesus. All roads should lead to him. Our lives should lead to him. We should be pointing others to the, him. We are reflectors along the way of life. That when God's light comes, it shines upon us it reflects back His light and shows the way. So in a sense, we are all box dots. That's the best I could do with that analogy. Um, But what happened is this. Very important. Okay, now we see Jesus is Lord of creation. We see that why we were created. But here's what we did in in Genesis 3. We'll look more at this next week. Adam sinned. The first man um, was made without sin, holy, had a disposition toward God. And yet he sinned, um, a mystery, and he represented us. He was there representing us fully. Uh, he sinned, and what he did is this. Listen, this is so important. This, this wasn't a small little deal of eating. A, a, people want to say apple. It never says apple, by the way. Apple gets a bad name. There was one fruit in the garden that God said, you can't eat that, eat everything else. You can't disobey me. Adam and Eve did disobey. Bay. And here's what we've got to see. Listen, Adam sinned cause all things to be out of order. All things. All things are out of order because of sin. All things. You know that age of your kid, if you have kids where uh, it's, kinda, it's a great age because you could be in a restaurant um, that has a video game and they can go over there and play the video game and it could be out of order and they don't know it. Um, they don't know. They don't have to have coins or whatever. they just over there and they think they're playing it. I mean, they really think they're playing the game. They're making the sound you know, and they're seeing things go on and their lights are flashing. They're thinking, this is great. I'm playing the game. And his parents are thinking, this is great. It didn't cost me anything. You know, I got a little free time. They're over there. They're playing it and they're entertained. But really, I came, I came into the restaurant and saw the things set out of order. And they're not really playing. Without Jesus Christ in a relationship with him, you may think you're playing the game of life. But truly, it's out of order. It's out of order. And only he can fix it. And no matter how many coins you put in, it'll never be in order. Well, Jesus is not only Lord of creation, he's also Lord of recreation. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 say this about him. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things. All things, because everything. I mean, the creation has been cursed. The ground has been cursed. The cosmos are out of order because of our sin." Everything has been affected. And he came to put all things in order, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus has come to fix all things that are out of order. Primarily, you and me. Because we were born in sin. We were born out of order. We were born without hope. And nothing could fix except for what Jesus has done how did, he rec- how did he recreate all things? Well, he created all things through the word spoken. He recreate- recreated all things, made all things new through the word of God becoming flesh and dwelling among us. What an incredible privilege that God would have such an incredible love for, for us. Why did he become flesh to recreate all things? Why? Why would God love us so much? That's the answer. It's love. God so loved the world, even though it was out of order. God so loved the world that he would send his one and only son. God demonstrated that love that while we're sinners, Christ came to die. Jesus is Lord of creation. Jesus is Lord of recreation. And what incredible love that he has for us. You see... All things were broken. And there was a promise given in the Old Testament that there was a prophet to come that would speak even better than Moses. Moses was disqualified from the promised land. That there was a king to come that would be better than David. David was an adulterer and a murderer. That there would be a priest that would come that was greater than Aaron. Aaron was a sinner. He had to offer sacrifices for his own son. And all those are met in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. The recreator of all things. And now we are recreated in Christ to reconcile all things to God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. We, we, I find, we find ourselves here a lot. It's one of my favorite passages. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says this therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if we if you and I have given our life to Jesus, we are a new creation, the old has passed away. Behold, the new is come. All this is from God, for through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Jesus has reconciled us to the Father. Do I hear an amen? Amen. And he has given us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in himself, in Jesus, not counting their sins or trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We are recreated to do that which we were originally created to do. And that is to bring God glory. We are recreated in Christ to subdue the earth under the reign and rule of Christ. We have been given a ministry of reconciliation. We are to multiply image bearers in the earth again. We do this through birth, and we do this through rebirth. We do this by telling our friends and neighbors, you need Jesus. He came to save you. He came to give you life and life abundantly. Your life was like my life, out of order. All of creation is out of order. Therefore, we must be missional people. We're on mission. We're on task. We must be active in making all things new. Now, there's some Christians who take this environmental stuff a little bit too far. And maybe that becomes their primary influence. That they say, we got to be involved in the environment. And most Christians that are conservative will want to take some pretty good-sized rocks and chuck them at those who want to talk about environment. And say, they're liberal, they're wax. They don't really understand. It's all about saving souls. Yes, it's primarily all about saving souls, but not only. All of creation groans for reconciliation. Read Romans 8. We are here as stewards of all of God's creation. The environment matters to us. Because he said it's good. And what he says is good, we believe it's good. And until he comes again and gives us a new heaven and new earth, that's important for us too. Listen, wherever you work, whatever you do, we are called to reconcile all things to God. As a CPA, you're called to reconcile all things to God. As an attorney, as a doctor, as a teacher, as a student, as a housewife, as a pastor... We are called to reconcile all things under the reign and rule of Jesus. Knowing that we can only do our part, the Holy Spirit has gone to do his part, but that's why we're here, to make all things new. That's why Jesus has come. Well, the ultimate question is this We cannot be like those VeggieTales pirates, the pirates who don't do anything. You know those pirates? If you have small kids, you know it, and your song is going on in your ears right now, and you're going to hate me for it later. We're the pirates who don't do anything. We just lay around. We just sit around. How's it go? We are the pirates who don't do anything. We just sit around. Stay at home. Stay at home. Sit around. That shouldn't describe the church. We shouldn't be the pirates who don't do anything. We don't sit around. At home, we're on mission and task for the kid. The Lord of creation and the Lord of recreation has recreated us to go and to be missional and to make all things new in his name. Where do you fit in the picture? Where does Jesus fit into your picture? Where is he? You see, the gospel story is this. Is Jesus the center of your life? How is it with you right now? Is your life a video machine that basically says a video game out of order? We see that describes all of our lives apart from Christ. Jesus came. He's come for those of us whose lives are out of order, to come and to give his life so that our lives could be put in order. In a right relationship with the Father, we're given new life. Have you received that new life in Christ Jesus? Today should be the day. Acknowledge that Jesus, apart from you, my life is out of order. Apart from you, i have broken, I'm broken, and my sins have separated me from you. But today could be the day we invite him in as your Lord and Savior to come into your life and to make all things new and give you new life. Recently, we had some dinner with some friends out at Universal Studio, and uh, while we were out at the boardwalk, uh, we crowded into uh, one of those photo booths. Now, I don't know why anyone would put $5 in to get their picture taken when everything we carry on us now takes pictures of ourselves. Isn't that true? Our cell phones, our PDAs, they all take pictures, but we're going to put five good U.S. dollars to get into a booth to act like idiots. And it says this, put your face in the oval. There were four faces and one guy with a ginormous head, and we won't tell you who. (laughs) It was hard to get all of our faces into that center oval. And really, the picture turned out funny. I was going to show you, but I'd be too embarrassed. And the people who are here would really be embarrassed. The question is this. Is Jesus in the center of your picture? Are you trying to crowd your image in there and other things? You see, Jesus should be in the center of the picture because he is Lord of creation and Lord of recreation. And when he is in the center of the picture, guess what happens? All things become beautiful. All things become new. All things have life. Where does he fit in your picture? Don't leave here today without him in the center. Jesus is Lord of creation and Lord of recreation. Life does have a way of coming full circle. And seasons of life seek come around. And that's a promise that God made to Noah. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks. So that we will always have seasons, each season pointing us to Jesus. And a reminder that there is a God who is Lord of creations and Lord of recreation. Lord of each season of your life. Is He Lord of this season of your life? As the offering comes, we're going to pray, we're going to sing a song about this, this uh, this Lord of the seasons and do business with God. See where he is in the center of the picture. Let me pray for us. And Father God, we thank you that your son, the second person of the Trinity, is fully God and fully man. That Jesus is Lord of creation and Lord of recreation. We thank you that he's come to those of us who had lives out of order, each one of us, to give us new life, to make all things new. Father, we thank you for the covenant promise you gave to Noah that you're not going to destroy the world again by water. And you're going to give us seasons. Seasons that we can continue to look to Jesus and to say, where is he in the picture? Father, may your spirit come and may we do business with you and each one of us realize that Jesus truly needs to be in the center of the picture. We pray this in Christ's powerful name. Amen.